Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. A bit different with this one, um, but I'll start by introducing him. Dan, Dan Simpson. Talk to us, Dan. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, Yas. Nice to be here. Thanks for, for asking me on. Um, yeah, like you say, my name's Dan Simpson. I'm one of the Game Insights Analysts at the Football Association. Awesome. So obviously, Dan, you know, uh, for me, I'm, you know, I've asked you to be on the podcast. So I know what you do. Um, maybe just give a brief background on what that actually means to, I guess, everyone listening to this. Yeah. So a big thing of what we do is we we take a look at the game and all the all the different components of it and see what we can learn as coaches and um, basically to to try and help people get better in their everyday life and just be a little bit better coaching wise. So be looking at whether it's in the grassroots domain, senior game, um, male, female game, whatever it is, taking a look to see what we can learn um, and how that might impact things such as practice design, game management, uh, lots of different stuff. Awesome. So Dan, obviously, you know, um, I've asked you to be on the podcast and the real reason is I've got a bit of curiosity around some of the things that, you know, I've seen you share in the past. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to unpack some of that stuff today as well. And you know, really interested to know, first of all, where, you know, where did this journey begin for you in terms of going into this insights? And have you got a background in coaching yourself? Uh, yeah, so I started coaching from a, from a young age, from probably 18, 19 years of age, uh, mostly coaching. And then I moved across to Southampton to do a, a football studies with business degree, Southampton Solent. From there, I was, I was still coaching and then I started doing some work alongside Portsmouth within their analysis department just helping out filming and coding games and within the academy um kind of gained a real love for it from there and, and realized that it brought together a good blend of firstly my skill set but also my interest in, in helping players and helping coaches awesome I think it's quite interesting because obviously you know we're seeing the game change constantly especially from a development standpoint of coaches and just a coach education as a whole there seems to be a big shift in terms of the use of insights and data and analysis as a whole. Could you maybe speak to that a little bit in terms of what you've seen, I guess, as developments over the, over the years and certainly since you started coaching? Yeah, I think a good way to use analysis means it can take a little bit of the subjectivity out of it. Um, obviously, we have to rely on our professional judgment as coaches and what we're seeing and how we feel best to develop and support our players. But the use of analysis and, and data and video can be a really good supportive way of doing that. Um, I, I would very rarely use one without the other. So if you're going to look at some data, you know, what, what is it telling you? How does that fit for your context? How does that fit for your players? But then delve into the video and, and actual real life examples of well, what what's actually going on. 
hundred percent. And obviously you're talking there about using videos and data in particular, you know, especially nowadays it's become a lot more accessible to try and draw some data out or gather that data, especially with the use of things like VOs and whatnot in you know, mm. not just at the elite end of the game, but also the grassroots end of the game. So I guess from that, you know, what can you tell us about where maybe coaches can start trying to extract some data or gather some data around different pieces that aren't just your generic go to things? I think the easiest way of doing this is actually figuring out what's important to you. You can go and count the number of shots and things, and that, but that only tells you so much. I think if you can actually figure out what you want to work on with your players, what, what are you doing in training? How might your match day link to what you're doing in training? And start to put together some um, some performance indicators based around that. So if you're if you're looking at crossing, you might want to think about how you're getting the ball into wide areas. What does that look like? Whether that's some data of something simple of how many times the ball goes out there or, or who's playing the ball out there, who's putting crosses in, what's happening when the ball goes into the box. And actually think about, well, what, what does success look like for you? So this is what we we're trying to achieve. What does success look like within that? Because it can be very easy to go, okay, I'm going to collect all of this data. And then you get a lot of stuff, but you're not really quite sure what to do with it and how it fits. Because mm. um, it can only really tell part of the story. But if you can link that as best as possible to, to training and the development of your players, then you're on to a winner, I think. And just on that, because you know, you're talking about you know developing some KPIs and you know for a lot of coaches probably listening to this and it may or may not be their first real kind of encounter with how to maybe apply it in their own environments. You know, they probably would typically go to that basic stuff, right? Your goal scored, goal, you know, where your shots have been taken from or how many shots have been taken and, and the success of those. But I, th- I think if you, I'm just thinking out loud and thinking a few questions that might be popping up here is like, well, where do I start? What age is too young to start? Do I start by going based on what I want success to look like for me or what success is currently looking like? And I think, you know, these are some, I guess, really pivotal questions in terms of where to start the journey of gathering that data and insights, right? Yeah, of course. I think everything has to link as best as possible. So if you can ask yourself the question, well, why why are you doing certain things? Why are you collecting data and metrics? If you're just collecting shots, why is it you're doing that? You might want to increase the number of shots that you're having, or you might be encouraging your players to shoot more often because the number of shots doesn't necessarily tell you what type of shots those were. So where were they being taken from? Were they good goal scoring positions? You know, what what foot were they being taken with? All it is is a, a frequency, which might give you something. If you if you simply want to raise the number of shots and you're encouraging your players to be confident and take shots from a range of positions, that might be useful. But the underpinning detail is is where the value is. And ultimately, um, coaches spend a lot of time planning and preparing their sessions, thinking about what they want to work on and thinking about what their players need. And this is the exact same. So the, the two processes for me, aren't they're not separate. All the analysis is and, and the collection of data is just a way of actually almost assessing what you've been working on to capture where your players are at. And you said something really great there where is what what does success look like but also what does it look like for your players because that that might be slightly different and a lot of the work that we've done we've done a lot of work around the the men and women's world cups for example and looking at goal scoring data from there how are goals scored how, how are they assisted what's actually going on but very conscious that if you're working with an under 12s um grassroots team that might be slightly different so we might be able to take some headlines from the top end of the game but if you if you're only able to apply it and actually recognise what it looks like in the environment in which you're coaching, it can be very, very difficult mm. to use and potentially misleading as well. So if we look at 
if we look at transition as a, as a as a good example, transition happens a lot. At the top end of the game, transition happens a lot. So the World Cup, each team were having on average more than uh, I think was it 90 transitions per game each team, and that's at the World Cup. But yet we see coaches getting frustrated when their their nine ten year old loses the ball. Um, so, but if we're seeing it happen at the very top level, hopefully that can help us to think, okay, well, what does that look like for our players? Can we start to ease some of those mm. frustrations when we're aware? Well, actually, no, acknowledge this happens at, the, at every level of the game. How can you work with it to to be better? Just building on, I think it's really important, you know, to highlight what you said there is that it's what can we take away from the game at the top end and how does that still apply to it? Because I think that's where you know, often the biggest challenges come, right? Certainly my experience is even working as co- with coaches as a coach developer, a lot of their, if you like, ideas and, and, and rationale behind what they're trying to get across come from them observing the game at the highest level. So, you know, just on that then, what are some what are some of the consistent things that we can maybe take from the highest levels of the game and, and really think, well, actually, these are consistent right throughout the right throughout the pyramid, if you like, or the, or the age and stage of players? Because obviously, for me, one of the biggest challenges is well, how do we make sure that we're working on things that take place in our players' game, as opposed to just looking at it right? Well, I'm, you know, I've observed Man City do this, or I've observed England and first team do this, or whatever that might be, and say, right, well, I want, my, like you said, under nine under ten still, which is not realistic, is it? Um, it depends. A lot of it might be the same, but just the quality is a little bit different. So, um, your players are still going to have the opportunity to. Pass the ball. They're still going to have the opportunity to intercept and tackle. All of those opportunities to perform core skills are still going to be there. They might just look a little bit different. So the way you observe them might be where things change. It might look a little bit messier, and that's okay. Uh, and it's important that your players know that that's okay as well. Obviously, we strive to play like a Man City, but I mean, even teams in the Premier League, the, the top teams in the world, can't play like Man City. So we can't we can't expect our players to do it. But what we can do is say, we, we can almost use it as a, as a best practice. Say, mm. look, this is the absolute best way of doing it. For example, look at how Kevin De Bruyne strikes the ball. Look at what he does before he receives. Look at how he scans. Um, look at how he positions himself to be in a position that when he receives the ball, he's able to play forward. Um, and help your players to understand the importance of things like that, rather than focusing simply on the outcome. So helping your players scan will inevitably help them make better passes, help them make better decisions. Mm. So what you focus on is the most important thing. Um, we talked there about what are the key consistencies throughout the game. No matter what level of the game you're playing at, whether you're playing in the World Cup final or you're kicking the ball down the street with your mates, you're trying to score goals and you're trying to stop goals. That's the two key things. And how you're going to do that will look very different. But... Yeah, I think we just need to focus on, well, what, what's actually important for the players? What are you trying to achieve? What does that look like? What might success look like? And it'll be different for different players within your team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that's I, where observation skills come yeah. in, I think. I think it's a great point, because I think in terms of observations, it is very easy to get drawn in on what's happening directly on the ball sometimes, right? And it's it's... Those other things that you might measure in terms of, you know, the runs that are being made and and where they're being made and how th- how they are maybe deemed whether they whether they are impactful or not. So I get you know looking at it from a wider context. You know, one of the phrases you used earlier around professional judgment. 
what what you know where where do coaches go with that because obviously you know we're all working at different levels some of us will have more experience than others and you know probably people listening to this thinking do you know what this this whole space is very new to me um but i'd love to see how i can maybe explore it and implement it in something that i'm doing with my with my kids or at grassroots level or whatever level i'm working at so you know for coaches taking their first kind of deep dive into this if you like where where would you put in their attention because obviously we can go after the basic statistics that we kind of um highlighted earlier but you've also mentioned you know it's really contextual you've got to make sure it's right for the players and we need to know why we're doing it in the first place and rather than it just being a tick box exercise that we're going after so you know wh- where does your mind go to in, in regards to that um probably first of all would be would be buy-in it might be scary for your players if all of a sudden you're starting to really assess their performance and put it under the microscope with numbers for example or, or even just lots of clips of a player performing a certain type of turn for example you need to get their buy-in so it needs to be a two-way process so it might be okay this is what we're working on or, or these are your sort of the learning objectives if you like so this is some of the personal to you some of the things that you know we think you need to work on and then get a shared process to go okay well what do you think success might look like you know what type of player do you want to be what type of passes do you want to make how do you want to do the things that we're asking you to do uh, and try and share in that process as well um and don't come away from the fact that the vast majority of us are coaching like you said there it could be your it could be your son's team it could be whatever the kids are there to have fun um I reckon if you ask the majority of kids why they're there, very few would be, oh, I want to learn. I want to learn to be the best footballer. I want to, yeah, to do that. It'll be that they're there to have fun. They're with their mates. Let's not lose sight of that. And it can be very easy as coaches to think, winning games on a on a Sunday morning makes me a good coach. That's a sign that I'm a good coach, but it's not. A sign of being a good coach is being able to understand your players and connect with your players in a way that makes them feel feel valued and I'd feel like they're there to have fun. They're in a safe space. They can put any any problems they may have away from, from the football pitch, they can put to the side and just go and have a lot of fun with their mates. Once you have that, then I guess you can maybe start to build in some of this um performance metrics if you like or 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 some video analysis. And the use of video now are, is, is is fantastic because you can just set it up, leave it, and, and that'll record the game for you. Mm. But how you then relay back that back to your players is, is really key and I, th- I think it's too easy as coaches to go oh i've seen this have a look at this or go and find me some examples of whatever but you will learn a lot more if you listen i think mm. if you listen to your players and if you even if you just set a little task okay well what, what do you think how do you think you performed in these areas and just listen to the players make sure it's a two-way process there's never a process of Here's some clips. Have a look. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I think it just needs to be as two ways as possible to get that buy-in. Yeah, and I just on there. I think it's quite interesting because obviously, you know, getting the buy-in is one thing, um, but obviously how you present it and how you package it for them is obviously another, right? And I think within that, then you know, you start to think what 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 are some strategies and what are different methods that you could apply? I'm just thinking about the times where I've shared maybe insights and data and you know sometimes it's through footage, sometimes it's through specific clips that are maybe annotated and given a bit of de- uh, descriptions on it as to what I want them to really focus on and pay attention to. Sometimes it's left on you know just kind of just raw footage if you're like clipped out so that I can really probe and challenge them to maybe give me some insights around what they've understood and what they've taken out from the footage. Um, obviously 
time's a factor in this. It does take time to put these things together and get it together. And there's also another element into actually having the time to then present it to them in a specific way or, or whichever way might fit best. So, you know, what are some of the strategies and ways in which coaches can start to kind of engage with this piece and really present it back to them? And I'm just thinking out louder on perspective. You've got some coaches who might only have one session a week with their players. You've got other coaches who might have three, four sessions a week. But, you know, what, what are some effective strategies and, you know, I guess, good starting points for this thing to go ahead? It's it's difficult. It is difficult, but I think having a clear plan definitely helps. Understand why you're doing it. And it might be that initially you just set up a video, you set up a camera, you record some stuff and you let the players watch it. And you do the same yourself. I think as a coach, you have to be comfortable with what you're doing before you can actually present it to the players. So it might just be something that you have there. The players can watch themselves back and enjoy watching themselves back. Um and maybe form their own opinion of some stuff. Um, you, you can get your players and you can get sort of parents and everybody else involved with, with some of this stuff. So if you're working on crossing that week, you might go have a little count of how many times such and such does this or, or whatever it is. But the more you can share what you're trying to achieve, the better, the more buy-in you'll get. Um, and when time's limited, that's where we really see the value is it doesn't just have to be you. So as a coach, yes, it's it's probably your responsibility, but the art of delegation is massive here where you, you can go you can say to players, okay, can you can you go and have a look at this and and come back and, and show me some stuff or tell me some some things, or it could be your your substitutions. One that one that I always like to do is it's not so much um data led or anything like that, but if you've got a player who's a left back. And you know he's going to come on, or he or she's going to come on to the pitch after however many minutes. You could just say to that player, "Okay, watch the current left back." So the player is playing in your position now. What challenges are they facing? What are they doing really well? What problems is the the opponent causing that player? So then, when that player, when the substitution comes on, then they've got an opportunity to go and put their observations into practice, mm-hmm. and actually say, "Okay, well, here's some of the problems. Here's some of the solutions that I thought of." before I come onto the pitch and then they get an opportunity to go in and actually practice it. Mm. And I think just it's really useful, obviously, to look at it from that perspective, because that kind of, I guess, moves you away from the numbers and looks at the actual information underneath the numbers, if you like, you know, what, what's actually taking place. Is it, it might be three or four take-ons, but actually those three or four take-ons have been by different players each time have then presented a different challenge and maybe need to, you know, requires a different solution. So I think, you know, those, those bits are really key there, right? So I guess, you know, just kind of building on that then, you know, you're looking at different strategies and how you can maybe support the team as well as the individual with observations and gathering their own insights in, in terms of presenting that back. And, and, you know, what are some effective ways in which maybe coaches can start to explore that? Because I'm just thinking, again, out loud about some of the things that I've done in the past. And, you know, sometimes it is a classroom based session, if you like, where I've shared footage with them and we unpack it together, if you like. Um, in other moments, is I know that we're not going to get any contact time before the next event, if you like, or the next game. Um, because it's a quick turnaround, so a couple of days or whatever. So it's me clipping together a couple of footages and maybe just packaging maybe like a two minute video for them to watch and review. And, you know, those are just some of the things that immediately come to my mind. You know, how, how else can, you know, maybe can coaches maybe go about exploring it? Yeah, I mean, technology is massively ingrained in our everyday lives now, not just as adults, but as children as well. So they've all got access to their phone now. And, and that's it. That can be a great place where they can, if you can get, some clips onto there, whether it's a full game or some clips related to them, 
um, through an online platform. So you've got Huddle or, or, or there's lots of other ones available that, that might be useful for doing that as just a, a good sharing platform where you can you can put stuff and, and they can watch it from there and, and engage with it. Uh, and in some cases, they can make comments and different things like that and, and draw your attention to certain areas within the game. I think it's really useful. And just on that, you know, how important is it for coaches to maybe have an understanding of what they're observing for before they actually start looking at the footage and reviewing it? Because I think that's another part, right? Sometimes if we just take away, the, you know, the the whole perception of or the perspective of, you know, gathering insights and data, even just from an observation standpoint, when coaches are delivering practices or even on match days, just sometimes they haven't got a specific lens in which they're trying to look through. So they kind of, in attempts to see everything, they end up seeing nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think you've just stole my strap line there as well, because that's my um, <laughs> my colleagues will tell you it's something I'm forever saying. Um, but yeah, you have to plan these things. Um, I, I, I used to get really frustrated. Somebody would say, OK, well, what are you saying? What do you think? Well, what do you think about what? Because there's so much that goes on in the game. And a, a prime example I had is I remember working with a coach and he was complaining that one player's passing was, was really bad and ended up taking him off. And it's because he made two bad passes right in front of the coach. It was the only two passes he gave away the whole game. But because that's what he's saying and that's where the, the, the focus went, that that then formed um, an opinion that maybe wasn't quite accurate. But I think actually having a plan and making sure it links to what you're trying to achieve is really useful and helps take away a little bit of anxiety. Mm. Because if you're standing on the sideline mm. as a coach and you are trying to look for everything and trying to see, okay, well, what, what's going on? How are we hurting the opposition? What problems are they posing us? All of a sudden... You, you can start to really miss what's actually going mm. on within the game because something can happen once and you think, oh, that's a trend, but it's not. It's just happened once or it can happen a couple of times. If you start mm. to see the same thing happen a few times, then it might need your attention. But actually having a plan of, well, these, these are the things that I want to observe today mm. and that's where the real focus is going to be. That will just help you shine a lens and share that with your players, share that with your the rest of your coaching team. And, and the parents to say, this is what we've been working on in training. And as a result, these are the things that, that we're going to look for within the game. Mm -hmm. And yes, some things will come outside of that. You will see some other things that do need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. But at least you've got those real clear, a real clear focus on what you're what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. I think, you, you know, you've just taken my mind in a few different places. And I think first and foremost, it links back into what you were saying earlier about the coach being comfortable doing this, right? And I think, um, you know, the starting point might not be to share with your with the insights with your players it might just be to check your observation your perceptions and challenge those as to whether they are accurate based on what's actually taking place right because i think it's very easy for us as coaches to observe yeah. something and if it is maybe a misplaced pass that probably stands out to us more than the passes that they have completed and that have been effective right um so i think that's probably one one thing that i've kind of really taken away from what you just said there and i think beyond that it's looking at well actually how do we, this is a great tool to maybe utilize and engage the parents in right you know getting the parents to maybe watch better footage and build on those little bits as an individual and what you know what's gone well what's not gone well and i think wider to that it's and i just think an example that i've I've used in the past is picking out best practice and saying right okay well when we talk about xyz there's here's an example of you guys doing that in the way that we want it done if that makes sense so it's almost like you're attaching if you like a visual definition of what it is that you're, you're hoping to see from the players now, and what what are your thoughts on that? Where you know where where are some of the kind of, I guess, wider considerations that you think maybe I can I can build on on top of those things? I think it's important if they can see themselves do something well, 
then it almost reaffirms to them that they can do it. So it automatically builds confidence as well as them saying, okay, well, this is a clear representation of what we're trying to achieve. So actually being able for them to see it themselves and see themselves performing well it is obviously a confidence booster. And then you can link that to um, maybe it's the age group above. So if you're trying to prepare your players for that next next level, uh, and if you have a good system throughout your club, you might have some good examples of what it looks like at, at different age groups, different ages and stages. Uh, and obviously just encouraging your players to watch the game itself. Um, the top end of the game, match of the day, things like that. Because I don't think people watch football now as much as what they used to. I was obsessed. I was always watching it. I don't think players these days watch football just as much. They, they, they play a lot of FIFA. It's, it's interesting. Football. Just on that then, when you say you, you, you was obsessed with watching the game, I, you know, I was quite like that when I was younger, but I think back about it now and I think to myself, well, what was I watching? Was I watching just the game or was yeah. I looking for specific things? And I think this is some of the challenges, right? Because as coaches, I see it all, you know, I see, as a coach developer, I see coaches talk about it all the time where, oh, they've, you know, they've gone and asked Dan, Dan, go and watch so-and-so because he's playing in your position but you've got no idea or no direction or guidance around or well, what do you want me to observe ar- around this particular player so you know how do you start to shift that conversation and, and be specific about it because it's very easy to kind of say Dan go and watch so-and-so right sometimes I, I sometimes I don't think you need to sometimes I think it's just <laughs> that that old phrase let the game be the teacher that one but at the same time just being able to watch and observe and, and Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. soak in some information like I know we're saying there that you have to have a real clear plan around what you observe and there, there's obviously a place for that but I do think there's a place as well for just absorbing the game like if you're if you're watching Man City Man United for example I'll be honest when I was growing up I say I was obsessed with watching football I was never watching it from a from a tactical lens or anything like that I was just watching a game of football but along the way subconsciously you start to pick up things um, and especially if you're if you do say it's your left back, go and watch Man City against Man United, go and watch the left back. If there's not a lot of information behind that, you've drawn his attention to to that player anyway. Mm-hmm. And they will automatically start to think of, start to picture themselves in, in similar situations and similar scenarios. And then, and then you might want to build it up from there and to think, okay, well, look at how he, look at how they create space for themselves. Mm-hmm. Look at how they, you know, angle and position their body and the timing of their movements to be able to receive, then you can start to be a little bit more specific. So mm-hmm. I guess it really, and that's where the connection with your players is the most important thing where you can start to understand, well, what type, what type of player have you got? Because they're all, going, they're all going to be different. They're all going to learn in different ways. Some of them will pick up lots of information from just watching a game. Some might not realize that they've picked up a lot of information. Others will be, will get it like that, and they might need a little bit more more guidance to, to look at more specific things, I guess. Yeah, and I guess I'm just thinking uh, again. Like, pose them better challenges. Yeah, hundred percent. I think those challenges are really key, right? So I'm starting to think about right. If you know, if I was to task a player right now about with observing a game, the question, the first question I'm probably I guess put into them is, you know, what what do you notice? 
Um, but I might be a bit more specific than that and just tell them to maybe focus on the in or out possession elements of what that player is doing. Otherwise, I think there is a d- that danger where they might end up seeing too much and really not digesting enough, I guess, yeah, substance on the detail or, or or the observations, if you like. So I think, you know, it's always good for me to start, start with that piece. And I guess I'm now just trying to think out loud and, you know, maybe put the question to you, you know, can you, can you share any examples of whether, where you've kind of, you've seen or even delivered it yourself where you've tasked players with observing a specific element which directly links to what the overall team goals are yeah so an interesting one there uh, just as you're talking what was it i had it in my head and i've forgotten it um what was i going to say there Can you just repeat what was the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so essentially, I was, I was linking and saying that you know, there's been times where it, you know you might task an individual player to observe something which that might naturally connect itself to the team goals. So whatever the outcome of the team might be, it's now looking at all right, Dan, you're playing at centre back. I want you to go and observe so and so, and I want you to I'll, I'll, you know be a bit more guided around. Right, look at them when they're out of possession, and, and I want you to identify how that might support the team in doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. Okay, so I remember now the first point I was going to say is that one thing that I always find a challenge is if you pose a player a question, there's a very good chance that rather rather than them thinking about it, first of all, the first thing to think about is, well, what does the coach want to hear? What buzzword can I give the coach that's going to tell them something? And, and I think how you phrase these questions is by far the most important thing. Because if I say, if I say to you, okay, their back line player really, really high. So where's the space? I could, I could, I could ask anybody in the street that yeah. question, and they would tell me the space is in behind. Yeah. Because you've effectively given them your answer with the question. Yeah. But what happens then is the player goes, "Oh yeah, in behind," and you go, "Yes, brilliant, well done." Yeah. Is it well done? You've, you've well, basically I... given them the answer, but now all of a sudden yeah. they think, "Okay, so now I know." It makes me feel good when. The coach is happy. Yeah. When I've given an answer that they're happy with, it makes me feel good. But actually, can we start to phrase things in a better way? Yeah, no, I think you're spotting and it just, it, I'm smiling because it, it really reminds me of some of the things that I ask players and I try and avoid that completely in the sense that if I was asking that it's same hard. question rather than saying to you, oh yeah, you know, the op- the op- you know, I'd probably start by saying, what do you notice about the opposition back line? And yeah, then lead on with, you know, what, what, what might that mean for us? What you know, where where might we get some success and really start to get them to explore that and connect success with an action or an outcome, um, and connect with and the observation with the challenge in front. You know, if, can you identify the game problem essentially? You now, what 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 is what is the back four doing? Um, yep. Have you know? Did you notice when they did it? Did you notice why they might have done that? And you know, really start to unpack it with them. But you know, I'm I'm thinking out now now and I'm. One of the things I'm always catching myself doing, and especially when I'm working with a new group of players that maybe aren't used to working with me, is I let I, I kind of set the scene. I'm not looking for a specific answer. I'm just curious in what you've noticed and what you observe, so I can essentially identify where I might have to plug myself in to support you further. And I have to I find myself complete, you know, constantly reinforcing that point, just so that they understand. Well, actually, do you know what? The only thing that's going to make coach happy here is if I actually give him an answer that's open and honest and not a quote-unquote right answer yeah and again the, the environment dictates some of this 
because there might be times where if you're speaking to the whole group you, you might need that answer correctly and you would rather it come from your players than come from you that you're just trying to make a point mm. through your players mm. that's not really so that the the, uh, the purpose of that question that we asked there is not to seek understanding for yeah. us it might seem like that's the case but it's definitely not it's just because we want to get to that answer and move on and move on almost but to actually check and challenge your, your players understanding is much different because your goalkeeper might see something completely different to what your strikers do. Your strikers, that high line, your strikers are bound to notice it easier than other players, but your centre has may not see it just as quick. So that's where it can be a good way just to go, okay, for the next 20 seconds, chat to the person next to you. What what do you see? Because you might have two different players in different positions in that case. Um and we talk about different ways and methods. There's so many different ways of doing things, but actually knowing and understanding your players is obviously by far the, the most important. A hundred percent. And that's just linking into that. It's also not just the observation they've made, but how the profile of them as a player may dictate and I guess um, distort their perception of what that actually means for them, right? Yeah, exactly. Like if you have, on, on the Highline example, you might have players who have spotted yeah they play a high line okay well how can we take advantage of that quick runs in behind brilliant we haven't got any players who can make quick quick runs in behind so now how do we solve the problem yeah. um and, and that's where it becomes like your observation where you can think i can really take advantage of this or actually it's something that we've noticed but it's something we have to work with um an example i'll always remember is when when i was at west brom if we're playing teams, so if you're doing opposition analysis and teams put lots of crosses in the box, you would see that as as their strength because they, they put lots of crosses in the box. Therefore, they must be good at it. But it might not be the case. It might be that teams are forcing them wide. Mm. Like teams are they're not very strong centrally. Teams are just do a good job of forcing them wide. But we're looking at it and going, okay, is that their strength? When we've got players like Gareth McCauley and Jonas Olsen at the time in there who headed everything away when the ball comes in. So it's actually observing, but you, especially from an opposition point of view, which might be going down a different route, but it's worth mentioning anyway, is you can't take things in isolation. So if we're saying, okay, this team puts lots of crosses in the box, you have to think, well, what does that mean for us? Mm. Because we might want them to put lots of crosses in the box because it yeah. stops them coming, coming through centrally. So you have to have something to link it to. Because 100%. there's no point in asking your players to to do things that, that are unrealistic. So if we're saying, I need you to make quick runs in behind, but you've mm. got a, a big target man there or a big, big target, it's not going to work. Mm. But what you might do is you think, okay, well, we've observed this situation. We can't do it that way. So this is where as coaches, we need to think, okay, well, what might be a better way? And we've mm. got a target player there. So it might be that their role is to make sure that line stays high so we can get a third, a third man running. Different problems, uh, different problems, different solutions, I guess. 100%. And I'm just thinking out, you know, wider around that example is that. And it's a challenge that I always uh, I give coaches to think about is, you know, why are we doing what we're doing in the way that we're doing it? You know, you might want your team to play out in the wide areas, but actually all of a sudden we recognise that, you know what, our strength might. So on an individual level, we might say we want to show the team wide, but actually as a, set, as a, as a fullback, I might think, well, actually, you know what, as soon as they go out wide, I feel vulnerable. How does that affect your strategy, right? And obviously, it's recognizing those individual bits of difference in terms of here's what we maybe have as a 
a go-to for the team as a whole. You know, we want to play whatever way that is. But actually, as an individual, that doesn't that doesn't match with what my capabilities are. And I think that piece is really key, right? And just I use the age-old example, you know, if I've got David Beckham, you know, it doesn't matter which way I send him, he's probably putting a good cross in. So now, how do I influence that? Well, what's my strength within that, knowing that this player can do either or, if you like? Or if it is, as an example... Typically, you want to show my, 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 you know, the opposition into my teammates that when I'm a, when I'm pressing one v one, but actually, I back myself one v one, so I don't mind isolating the situation and and those kind of considerations, right? So I guess, for, you know, building on that, I'm just trying to think from your own experience. Obviously, the more you more often you play around these these insights, these you know, gather this data, you you know, there'll be some observations which, I guess, from time to time, you're thinking, wow, I never really considered that that could have an impact. So you know, just from your from your own journey then you know what are some of those i guess milestone moments in some respect that you think wow actually i, n- I never thought about that and now it's become really prevalent and it's kind of almost at the forefront of your mind in everything that you do well uh, a big finding that i find from from the transition work that we've done i find really interesting that at the, at the, the very top level of the game when a team gains the ball from a transition more than half the time, I think it's 52%, they lose it again within five seconds. But like I said earlier, we get frustrated with our players when, when that happens. So that just led me to think, well, that before phase is really, really important. And just the importance of before, during and after. If you go from a data perspective, it's very easy to get some headlines. Mm. But actually, data often doesn't provide or, or provides very little context. Just on that, before you expand, would you mind just expanding on what you mean by the before phase? Yeah, so before an action happens. So if, for example, in that case, you're looking at a transition occurring, actually looking at, well, what happened before that transition occurred? How were players set up? What were the, so the players who are really good at keeping hold of the ball. So when you win the ball back, you've generally got a choice. So you hope to keep possession. But what you can do from that, can you get in behind? Can you cause your opposition a problem to go and counterattack? And if not, can you keep the ball and be and, and gain possession? But it's the most chaotic moment of the game when a transition occurs. So how can you create players and, and support players who are comfortable in those situations, mm-hmm. calm decision makers? And, and one of the biggest ways is, is by being able to scan and being able to position yourself and, and sense danger and anticipate when things might happen. You mm-hmm. see the best the best um, example that comes to my mind is if you look at strikers, the best in the world often look like they're not doing an awful lot. They'll just stand around. If you look at Haaland, Haaland just walks around the box, but all of a sudden mm. he makes he makes a, a, I don't know, a two or three yard sprint to get ahead of his defender and get the ball into the back of the net because he knows when the ball is going to come in. He can sense when the ball is going to come in, but also he can, he can sense danger of well, what if play breaks down here. So that's where your central midfielders are really important, where it's like, okay, we've got an attack. What might be some of the things that I can look for to say, okay, we might be vulnerable here if we Mm -hmm. lose possession. And that might be, so for example, you spoke a lot there about um, 1v1s and take-ons. If I've got a player who's engaging in a 1v1, I know there's probably a, a fair chance that they might lose the ball. That's a fair chance because they're taking a risk. So we need to make sure we're secure behind that. Um, but then once the player gets past, you might see things start to change. But actually having that before phase and helping players to anticipate and sense danger and recognise moments 
in the game where they they can do something. Yeah, and that only comes with practice. That comes with practice. And, and it's an it's an interesting point, and it, it kind of links into something that I, I often talk about. Is for me, the game is just a bunch of patterns, right? Um, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this. You know, I, I'd say that you talk about anticipation, sensing danger. Um, For me, that comes from recognizing the patterns that exist within the game. It's not to say that these this is black and white, but there's enough things that happen often enough for you to understand that actually this this is probably the likely outcome of the back of this action, if you like, or these series of actions are going to lead to this. I guess um, on you know, firstly, what are your thoughts on that? And secondly, in terms of that sense in danger and anticipation piece, what are some of the you know things that you've kind of encountered that can allow coaches and even players better? to understand when these things are about to occur and what maybe what, I guess, variables will impact on their ability to read those situations, if you like. I think take, take a step back, first of all, and actually have a plan. So do your players know what to do when they lose the ball? Have you got a, have you got a shared agreement where it's like, it, it might be closest player goes and challenges, or it might be we, we recover our defensive shape as quickly as possible. Ha- actually have a plan for it because at the top level of the game, you, you might get 90 transitions for your team per game. <laughs> At grassroots and working with, with younger players, this figure is way higher. It happens all the time. So I think yeah, actually actually have a plan. Talk your players, players through, well, what might that look like? So what are we trying to achieve when, when we do win the ball back or, or when we lose it? Um, but just constantly, like... Exposing your players to situations, particularly I think small-sided games are really good for this because reward is really high in a small-sided game when you get it right. You can go and counter and you can win the ball or you, and, and you can score. But that means the flip side of it is also true, that if you're not secure behind the ball when you lose it, the opposition will run straight through the middle of you and can score. So I think that's where small-sided games are really useful and seeing the impact of that. Um, like you said earlier, the game's about scoring and stopping goals. Um, and sometimes I've I've seen sessions and things where even at the sort of top level of the game, it's almost okay to concede sometimes when it's not like if if you want to if you want this stuff to matter, then you actually have to have a plan and and be yeah just help your players understand well what what's expected when we lose the ball because ultimately you want to get it back as quickly as you can. So is that opportunity there to go and counter press and win it back, or do you need to get get more of a structure so you can be more organised mm. in order to win the ball back and and protect central areas? We see um, certainly I and another thing that came out from our research, I'd always pictured counter attacks as you win the ball, it goes wide, crossing the box goal because that's what I've seen lots of sessions. I've seen that happen in lots of sessions. When reality is that only happens in 30% of the cases. 70% of the time, the ball starts central, the transition occurs central and stays central rather than going out into one of these these wider areas. Because if you think about it, the best outcome you want as a defending team is to get the ball as far away from a goal as possible. Mm. If, if, you can't win, if you can't win it back, if you can get pressure on and win it back, great. If not, you've got to be secure. And if you can't force the opposition as far away from goal as possible. However, I'm seeing... Lots of practices where the counter-attack happens, the ball gets played wide. This is like a, a pattern or a phase of play. The ball gets mm. played wide, you get two runners into the box and you score. Mm. But actually, 
and we start bringing um, practice closer to game can yeah. we make it a little bit more game realistic so now all of a sudden if we change that practice uh, yeah maybe allow the ball to go wide every so often but try and really focus on that central area because we know this is how it happens the majority of times when the players come to face that situation in a the game they've already been through it many mm. more times than they will have done if they were practicing in an environment that that maybe wasn't um as realistic and I think the interesting thing that links to that, you know, kind of goes full circle in, in that you're getting the buy-in back, right? Because you can almost present it back and say, look, these are some of the things that I've observed in the recent games. Um, yes, this does happen, but actually this happens a lot more or, or less or whatever it is. And that can kind of, I guess, provide a justification for why you are delivering the practices you're delivering and fundamentally getting more of that buy-in to your players. Because if they understand where it fits into their game, then why wouldn't they want to practice it more if that's if that's where they're causing you know finding a challenge and i guess in some respects you're challenging and reframing maybe their perception of what their observations are and their experiences are because again i'm just thinking out loud and thinking well if i'm someone who plays on the wide areas i might see the game perceive the game and recall the game from a completely different perspective right similar to that coach who's identified one or two misplaced passes from this player and he ignored maybe seven or eight successful ones it's it, it, it kind of just adds adds value to that, right? So I guess building on from that, then, where are some quick ways in which coaches can start to get the ball rolling and I guess gathering this? I know you mentioned there about being having a plan, being being clear about maybe what specific data um, you want to go after, and maybe having an understanding as to why you're going after it. But practical steps. What you know? What 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 would some of those be? And in, in a, how, what would you suggest? And maybe give us an opinion from the perspective of a grassroots coach where they are working maybe once a week and how they might implement that as opposed to that one who's got more time with their players. Yeah, I, I appreciate it can be overwhelming when when you start, <laughs> annoyingly, you start to break it down so you can focus on some easy steps, but then all of a sudden there can be 20 easy steps and you can get a little bit lost. I, I completely understand that. Um, the, the same challenges happen whether you've got your players one day a week or five days a week you're still going to be challenging yourself and pushing yourself and trying to do more and more but i always think if you can get your practice design nailed down so your, your players understand what they're doing right away um you can get into the session a lot quicker rather than having to explain things um if you look on the yeah fa education website so we've got lots of great um great resources to help coaches we run lots of webinars which are predominantly grassroots based and, and it's a great space for people to come and, and listen to some of the challenges that that we face and we, we set those up those, those webinars have been set up to kind of take on some of the tasks and concerns of coaches we want it to be as realistic as possible it would be very easy for us to come on and say okay we'll do a, a game insights webinar we'll do whatever but we're doing our best to listen to some of the challenges that coaches face and, and time is certainly a big a big element of that um but there's always lots of great information there that that can support if you're struggling for practice design there's lots of practice designs on there depending on what you want to work on with your players and they're they're always evolving but certainly a lot of great wealth of resources there which i would certainly encourage people to to check out amazing i really appreciate that dan um dan just a real quick one then we just what can we look forward to around the insights and, and, and where, where to kind of go next? You just talked there a bit about the research and run transitions. Where's the current area of research that we can look forward to looking into? 
like like I've said there, um, a lot around the task and concerns that the coaches face. Um, so we, we kind of want to delve more into, well, what do things look like at, at grassroots level? What do things look like across different ages and stages? At the moment, we're doing some work into, well, what does success look like in the in the female game? How might that be a little bit different? How can we prepare our players for success? A lot of stuff around um, game realism. So we've we've had a couple of webinars recently. We've got blogs and different things on, well, how can we actually make our practice design a little bit more realistic um, to, to the game? Now, obviously, with that, you're going to get, it's the yin and the yang. So obviously, with that, you get more realism, but you might lose a little bit of, um repetition or relevance for example depending on, on on what you're doing but actually some of the resources that we have available might help you just identify okay well what things might we need to work on with mm. our players um so yeah there's there's lots of exciting stuff uh, and the game we say the game's ever evolving but there's also lots of consistencies across mm. across the game and just and really quickly on that you mentioned there about the you know the, the research that's been done in the female game. I think this is really, I guess, a key talking point for me, and, and hopefully you can give us some insight here. That what are the, what are the major observations in terms of differences from that of the male game and that of the female game, and what coaches maybe need to consider within that development piece? Well, the female game is evolving at just a, an incredible rate, um, and with that, the education needs to evolve as well because there's there's more people than ever wanting to play the game. Um, and we're seeing more and more coaches become more involved in the game. But actually, we're also seeing a lot of coaches moving across from, from the male side, mm. um, from the male game. So actually understanding what, what it's like to work with female players and, and the, the, the problems that they may face because we've seen, um, uh, it's been well publicised around different... Um, newspapers, different media outlets, and I'm sure it's probably not my, my place to comment on it here, but the use around carbohydrates and different things and, and the, the dietary requirements and making sure that the females are getting the right fuel and nutrition they need to support their performance. Because without that, you can give them all the technical detail, but if they haven't got the physical capability to perform to their best, then they're, they're never going to fulfill um, their potential. But we, we, we're seeing some differences yeah, uh, in terms of well, how, how the game's actually played, but the, the standard's improving day on day, which is which is fantastic to see. And, and the more insight we can drive into that and what it looks like at the top end, but also at, within the RTCs, et cetera, then, then the better place we'll be for it. Amazing. Dan, I'm conscious of time. I just want to say a massive thank you for your time. Um, it's been really insightful, and hopefully we can do a part two at some point. Um, thank you again for your time, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been great talking to you. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.